0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth generation farmer and co-founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com.
2: This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today we're talking about young farmers. Uh, my two guests today are uh, Caitlin Arnold, who is the National Chapter Manager for the National Young Farmers Coalition. And she is joined by Alicia Harvey, who is Farm Aid's Advocacy and Farmer Services Director and guides the organization's advocacy, research, farmer services, and policy related activities. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about young farmers. They've been much in the news lately. Uh, that is, if you're a geek like me and follow that stuff as closely as I do. Um, why don't we start with uh, Caitlin, tell people a little bit about your work at Young farm, National Young Farmers Coalition. Then Alicia, you do the same to talk about farm aid, and then we'll start talking uh, real business here.
3: Sure. So National Young Farmers Coalition is a policy and advocacy organization that works to represent young and beginning farmers all over the country. And uh, my role as National Chapter Manager is to support our 45 farmer-led chapters in 28 different states and to help start new chapters where we don't yet have them. Mm-hmm. And
2: Alicia, tell us about Farm Aid and what you do there.
4: Sure. So FarmAid was started in 1985. Usually those who know us know us from our annual um, festival that features yep. our board artists, Willie, Willie Nelson, Neil Young, John Mellencamp, Dave Matthews. Um, and we've been rallying around this mission to keep family farmers on the land since that time. Um, and that's both through public awareness and raising funds, Um to support farmers and and organizations across the country like National Land Farmers Coalition in their efforts. But it also includes our National Farmer Hotline where we hear from farmers every day and refer them to resources across the country who are there for them both in times of crisis and also um, as they look to get started in careers on the land or to transition their operations in some way. Uh Uh-huh.
2: So why don't we why don't we sort of open this show with each of you giving me an idea of what you see as the primary challenges? Obviously, they're going to be a little bit different because farm aid, uh, farm aid relates to already existing farmers and older farmers, as most of our farmers are, and the National Young Farmers Co- uh, Coalition is going to skew to a, a younger population. So I'm sure the challenges are a little bit different. Uh, So Caitlin, why don't you go first with um, what you see are the biggest challenges to a young or, you know, a beginning farmer trying to get into the business. And then Kate, uh, Alicia, you follow up with what the biggest challenges are for uh, farmers who have been on the land for a while. Sure.
3: Sure. Yeah. So some of the biggest challenges that we see from our members are access to affordable farmland. Um, Mm -hmm. So both to buy and to lease affordable, um, good quality farmland is, is a very large challenge for our younger and beginning farmers. Um, nowadays, if you don't inherit a farm through your family or you don't have uh, savings going into your farming career, it's more and more uh, inaccessible to be able to find affordable land that you can start your business on and then grow your business as you would like to do. So land access, um, I think, number one challenge. Um, Some other challenges we're seeing are also access to capital. So, you know, starting a farm takes money. Um, It's an expensive Expensive operation to begin. Um, There's a lot of startup costs. And then, of course, maintenance costs as you're as you're getting going. And as you grow your business, um, it takes money to grow a business as well. So um, accessing loans um, to buy equipment, um, you know, get your truck that you need, uh, put up your greenhouse that you need. Um, That's also a really big challenge. Um, access to healthcare. So, you know, our farmers are mm. generally self employed. Um, so, in our 2017 survey, healthcare came up as one of the top five challenges as well. Um, wow. And then just the, you know, the challenge of trying to make farming your sole occupation, uh, without having to work off the farm is a huge thing that we're seeing for our younger farmers and older farmers as well. Most farmers work a job off of the farm as well as full-time on the farm, or they have a partner or spouse that is working full-time off the farm in order to, um, keep the household afloat. Wow.
2: And Alicia, how, how is that different from, from the perspective of your uh, constituency, are they pretty much the same issues or uh, or do you see some different uh, challenges to older farmers?
4: I think there's so much um, commonalities between generations of farmers, and we actually interface with farmers of all ages. Um, and of course, there's a connection between farmers who are looking to retire and exit and what that means for the next generation of farmers on the land. Um, you know, as we speak, farmers across the country of whatever type are in the middle of a multi-year slump in farm prices that um, has made a huge dent in the farm income that they receive. Um, it has happened. Uh, the challenges that Caitlin speaks about, about needing to seek employment elsewhere, either for benefits um, to try to have health care of some kind to try to deal with, um, being able to cover the cost of running a household in addition to a farm business. Um, and it really can't be overstated how, um, how stressed farmers of all kinds across the country are right now. Um, and we would just add to what Caitlin said that, um, there are some fundamental dynamics undergirding these trends and these challenges, whether it's around access to credit or land um, or prices themselves and the ability to make a living growing food. Um, and that's the ongoing concentration um, in the ag economy in general and you know the whittling of power being held into the hands of very few giant corporate players and Across all commodities and all types, that starts to squeeze, um, you know, the margins for farmers both on the input and output end. So mm-hmm. it's a really challenging time, and we hear that over our hotline every day.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to ask you for a second. Uh, let's 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 unpack that for just a second. Now, when young farmers come into the business, I. On the whole, would you say that your constituency, uh, actually for both, this question applies to both of you, but are are you dealing with people who are heavy into the commodity crops? And by that, I mean rice, soy, corn, cotton, uh, or are you mostly representing or working with farmers who have uh, either mixed use farms or skew towards livestock? What's what do you see as your primary uh, as your primary constituency? Because the guys who are in the commodity bucket, I, I consider in a whole different league because they get the huge farm subsidies. Do you still have, I'll stop there. I won't ask the five point question, which I like to do, but <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know, cause I'm just like, I'm, yeah. I'm running my mouth here. I'm just like, yeah. Stream of consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> It's not really fair, um, so I will stop it there. Who who are you representing in your two organizations? Are they primarily commodity farmers, or are they primarily uh, sort of mixed use, small and medium size um, people who are not uh, tapped into that particular,
4: mm.
2: you know, revenue stream?
3: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, mm-hmm. Young Farmers Coalition is primarily representing diversified growers who are, who are growing either mixed vegetables for, um, farmers markets and CSAs and direct marketing. Um, we are starting to see more producers that are going towards wholesale for vegetables. Um, uh-huh. we also have livestock farmers. Um, so, you know, a lot of grass fed operations, we have dairy farmers, but they're the smaller, smaller size dairies, um, doing grass-fed and raw milk usually, um, or farmers that are doing parts of both or all of those things. Um, so we have some farmers that grow tree fruits, vegetables, and are doing livestock or dairy as well. Um, so really diversified operations, definitely on the smaller scale. Uh, yeah. We don't have many farmers currently in our membership that are commodity growers. Um, Although we're starting to see more grain growers come into our fold. So um, large scale wheat, um, but doing more heritage, like heritage uh, breeds of wheat. Um, And then we do have some hops growers, large scale hops growers. So Mm -hmm. it's, we don't limit who we represent. We welcome all types of farmers. So, um, those multi-generation farmers who are doing dairy or ranching or commodity growing, you know, they are welcome within the National Young Farmers Coalition. But I would say who, who our membership is right now, it skews more towards the diversified, smaller scale operations.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. What about you, Alicia? How is yeah, that I different some- from your constituency?
4: Yeah, so I would say, first of all, we're not a membership-based organization as Young Farmers are, right? So for us, it's who comes over to our hotline seeking resources and support, and um, who do we work with in partnership across the country, um, often farm membership-based organizations, including Young Farmers and Farmers Unions and um, organizations like that across the country. For us, it's all of the above, um, and particularly in a in a depressed farm economy, um, there has been um, no <laughs> one type of farmer reaching out to us. Um, the scale can really range. The commodity type really can range. We, um, we get everything, including the constituencies that um, National Farmers Coalition speaks to, as well as um, many more. Mm.
2: So I guess what I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about you, when you talked about a depressed farm economy, we all know that the dairy industry is in the toilet and dairy farms are shutting down by the dozen uh, beyond, you know, if they're not at a certain scale or they're being gobbled up by other bigger consolidated dairies. And then the same with, <clears throat> say, soy farmers are seeing their prices at a record low, if I'm not mistaken, as well as corn being pretty low. So that's why I was asking, like, whose constituent, because those depressed prices are not, are. I mean, they represent the majority of farms, I think, in America, but they... Um, but they're not necessarily the same people that you're working with. That's what I was uh, sort of curious about. But speaking of dairy farms and farmers, you guys work a lot, especially you, Alicia, work a lot in the mental health field, right, with farms. And there was a new uh, – where did I put this? Oh, yeah. Uh, the there's uh, Caitlin was telling me before we started the show that uh, – the Farm and Ranch Stress Network has received a fairly significant grant uh, to work with uh, farmers who are struggling with mental health issues, largely as a result of the depressed farming economy. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and sort of who you see mostly using those services. Mm.
4: Yeah, so um, we find that, um, you know, farming itself is an incredibly... Um, stressful profession, I think that's just important for anyone who's not a farmer listening in to understand, but also for farmers, ranchers, farm workers, or others who are ag professionals to feel validated. There, that There is so much that's out of the control of an individual farmer, be it the weather or price fluctuations or policy changes, whatever it may be. Um, for example, trade policy you know is impacting farmers very much right now Uh Um, and so any anything where there's a dynamic out of your control um, can be incredibly stressful I think for farm professionals there's so much more tied into this and I think Caitlin would speak to this too farmers see themselves as farmers the idea of finding another profession or of having to deal with losing their family's land is an incredible sense of loss and shame um, and blame that, that people place on themselves. And so it's really important that these kinds of resources be made available to um, farmers and ranchers across the country and that we also start to change the conversation um, and make it um, less stigmatized to talk about behavioral health issues. The Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network was actually authorized in the 2014 Farm Bill, but it was never funded. This Uh 2018 Farm Bill, it was finally funded. And so we are in the first year of establishing this network um, through the USDA. And so um, one thing we've found operating a national referral hotline is that there are fewer and fewer resources out there that we can really refer a farmer to if they're coming to us in in a crisis. And often, a mental health crisis, let's say they're expressing suicidality or depression or something along those lines, just referring them to a behavioral health specialist is likely um, not going to resolve the behavioral health issues they're facing because it's tied up in financial and legal challenges. Or in the case of, let's say, the Midwest this year, a string of natural disasters that um, were incredibly traumatic for the farm population to go through. And so mm-hmm. for us and um, Caitlin, who are sort of leading the team in the Northeast to develop the network in that region, it's really important to us that we are integrating financial and legal services to farmers with behavioral health services and building the capacity of service providers to address all of the above.
2: Mm. I'm so glad you uh, clarified that for me, because I did not absorb that from the press release, uh, that you would be including legal and financial resources. And I'm thinking to myself, well, gee whiz, first of all, how the hell are you going to get a farmer to admit that they need therapy? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even yeah. that in and of itself is so challenging. Mm-hmm. You could use the whole grant on trying to educate people on the, to the idea that, you know, actually talking things out and having, you know. having a supportive conversation can be helpful. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to fix anything really, but it's at least an outlet for your stress valve. Anyway, thank you for clarifying that for me. Mm -hmm. So um, what, what do you see? So uh, did you want to, Caitlin, did you want to say something about this, uh, this uh, farm and ranch Mm -hmm. stress network that's being developed?
3: Yeah, it, this, I just, I'm, Alicia did a great job of, of summarizing. So the only thing I want to add is um just how exciting and important this first year is. So we mm-hmm. we here in the Northeast are are one of four regions that was awarded this grant. Um so the there's also a north central region, a southern region, and a western region. So we're one mm-hmm. of four. Um Farm Aid, National Young Farmers Coalition, and another regional organization, Vermont Farm First, um, are partnering together on this grant, as well as the University of Maine Extension. Um, and we will be, I think, one of the most exciting parts is we are convening and bringing together a network of service bri- providers from all over the Northeast region. Mm-hmm. Um, And they're going to be bringing a wealth of information and resources. So, you know, resources are out there. They are definitely lacking and there are not enough. And there's, there are not enough in each state. Um, That's one of the hardest parts is that if I have a farmer in, let's say, um, Louisiana, who gets in touch with me, I don't really know where to refer them to. Um, oh, I so what <laughs> You do. Well, great. Yeah. Um, so Maybe that's part of, context. like, <laughs> that's part of building these, these networks. Um, and we're, we are one of four. So, mm-hmm. you know, all together with this grant, um, really it's covering the entire U.S., which is, which is the goal. Um, and this is just mm-hmm. the first year. And we're hoping it will it will go beyond year one as well.
4: Just to underscore what you're saying there, Caitlin, I think is that even where there are established outfits, at least what we have experienced since the eighties is a real loss and erosion of those um, outfits over time um, Mm. due to funding lapses. And so these are often very overtaxed um, under-resourced organizations or outfits. Um, trying to do, you know, the impossible in their part of the country. Um, and, you know, these are their neighbors. These are their communities that they're seeing under duress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though there's been, you know, a $2 million pilot project coming, uh, program coming out of the USDA, you know, we are in um, the process of, of, you know, waiting to see what Congress is going to put out for next year's, program and we would just emphasize how important it is to really up the ante um there are so many deserving organizations who really 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 deserve to be supported so that they can do that work
2: mm-hmm. i'd like to see a lot more organizations do the work of uh lobbying <laughs> that <laughs> that mm-hmm. the big you know that the big corporations bring to bear on this i mean to be honest with you ladies I mean, you know, you can bring all the mental health and and legal and financial support services you want to this community, but without some serious uh, reconfiguring um, and especially, uh, you know, breaking up these big monopolies, I don't see farming getting any easier. You know what I mean? It's like, where is the will? Where is the political will? Where are the organizations that are going into Congress, besides the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, I can't think of any other major organizations that spend a lot of time and money lobbying members of Congress to, uh, you know, as I say, break up these big uh, corporations or implement, um, you know, programs within the Farm Bill or outside of the Farm Bill that will address uh, the price fluctuations and some of the other stressors uh, that are contributing to the mental health issues as well as just the overall decline of farming in the United States. Where does that fit into your organizations? How do you guys uh, contend with legislation?
4: Well, I, I mean, we at Farm Aid, we certainly do advocate for the types of reforms you're talking about. And I would just say it's an interesting moment. I think more and more organizations um, are understanding these underlying structural challenges that manifest in growing rates of suicide and stress in farmers and ranchers, right? Right. Those are the symptoms of these underlying problems, as you said. But, for example, National Farmers Union, National Family Farm Coalition, um, you know, these are organizations that are also pushing for um, antitrust enforcement, supply management policies that would really um, deliver fairer prices to farmers that actually help them recover the cost of producing our food. So um, I think there is a sort of awakening throughout the countryside that it's just, we can't do this anymore. We're in a second gilded age in a way, you know, we've just removed any constraints on corporate giants and that's facilitated both by national policy and international trade policy. And I think people are starting to connect those dots. Um, And I feel very fortunate at Farm Aid. I'm sure Caitlin feels similarly to know the good people across the country who are fighting the good fight every day. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's encouraging
3: to hear. (laughs) Caitlin, what were you going to say? I cut you off. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, Nationally Young Farmers Coalition takes we, we are a policy and advocacy organization, and we do a, t- a ton of policy work on the federal level as well as the state level. Um, really, the policies that we're aiming to change are the ones that put up those structural barriers for young people who want to enter careers in agriculture or who want to be successful at farming. Um, yeah. and be able to grow their businesses in a way that they can support themselves and their families. Um, but we also take a, I like to think of our organization, you know, we're not just a policy organization. We, we have so many levels uh, of ways that we, we support farmers. Um, we have a business services program. We have our chapter network. We have our land access program, um, And you know we really try to come at things from all different angles, um, Uh mostly because policy takes a really long time. (laughs) It's not fast. It's it doesn't Um, seem like it should, but in
2: in the current environment, it certainly it certainly does. There's a lot of forces working against you that have a lot more money. Uh, than any nonprofit could ever muster unless it was funded by somebody like the Koch brothers, and they're not about to start doing that. Um, We're going to take a short break now for a sponsor drop. We'll be right back with Caitlin Arnold from the National Young Farmers Coalition. Alicia Harvey joins us from Farm Aid. Stay tuned for more discussion about young and beginning farmers in the United States.
1: My name is Paul Willis, I'm a fifth generation hog farmer, and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens, and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever and are only fed a high quality, 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming, raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did, and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com.
2: We're back. This is what doesn't kill you food industry insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're talking about farming. It's a big surprise. Um, and especially about young farmers, uh, I want to talk. You know, um, Alicia, Caitlin, and I met at the at the uh, Young Farmers Conference at Stone Barns last week, mm-hmm. uh, which was really very encouraging and very interesting on many levels. And so, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about sort of farming of the future. Now, um, one of the things that I, I saw sort of discussed amongst some of the young farmers who were at this event. Uh, was kind of new models. And I wanted to see what you two are seeing trending across the United States in your work. Um, For example, I was curious, I know up here in Rhode Island, uh, which has a burgeoning agricultural community, uh, that there's a lot more sort of cooperation amongst young farmers in terms of buying equipment or sharing labor. Uh, Is that something that you see across the country as a trend Uh, that is greater than it was, say, 15 or 20 years ago? Of course, you guys probably weren't even alive then. You're both so young. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to ask you to
4: look at history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I uh, was alive 15 years ago, for sure. Um, (laughs) But... but, (laughs) But, well, um, no, okay, 20 years and, maybe, and 20,
2: 25, 30, 20 were you You're 30? Yes, yes, yes I was. <laughs> okay, all right uh, then, so we have a framework. not
4: anymore about my age. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting because it, what I would say Farm Aid with the, the National bird's eye, we have, um, yes, and it's not new. So one of our longstanding partner organizations at Farm Aid is the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. And they, um, you know, established cooperatives across the southeastern United States, primarily for African American farmers who started to understand that they were going to have to work together um, to overcome the structural barriers they were facing, which is, you know, everything Caitlin's describing. And then on top of that, the discrimination um, that yeah. they would face, kind of in every effort that they were endeavoring, and so. For them, um, they've been one of the leaders in sort of helping establish cooperative models across the country. And I think um, there's a lot of different ways that that can look, um, and including, like you said, sort of um, equipment shares. um, And we see this a lot with incubator farms that are um, bringing new farmers or even immigrant and refugee farmers um, and helping them establish their operations that, you know, there's ways to share those capital costs. Um, so I do think that there's some really exciting things going on, uh, but as I say, nothing new under the sun. <laughs>
2: True. I. What about things like aggregating? Like one thing that I we talked about uh, at the conference was how there's a lot more institutional buying um, of local farm product. In other words, institutions are now sort of sometimes they're legally mandated Um by their state to buy a certain percentage of their product from local farms. Are you seeing your young farmers uh, or any of your farmers sort of aggregating their product together so that they can then sell into an institution? Because obviously one small farm is not going to produce enough onions for, you know, uh, a college. Say it's a, Mm -hmm. you know, UMass, which does a lot of work with young farmers um, and certainly buys a lot of local food and they I think they've had to to really stretch uh, stretch themselves to find farmers who will work together to produce say enough chicken for you know feeding 45,000 people per day, which is what for example UMass does um, so what mm-hmm. what do you see on that side of it of of sort of aggregating product and how are they making that work?
3: Yeah I think I think aggregating is, is growing as food hubs um, begin to pop up more and, you know, the structure for that is becoming available for smaller farmers. I think without a structure such as a food hub or a warehouse or storage facilities, that becomes significantly harder, which is why a lot of our diversified growers are not able to sell into School systems, hospital systems. Um, there's huge opportunity there, and I think there's also a lot of barriers. And mm-hmm. so one thing we're we're trying to work on um, into 2020 is doing more workshops and trainings for our farmers around working with wholesale, um, mm-hmm. how to how to go into wholesale if you're a smaller grower. What are the barriers that exist? What kind of certifications do you need? Um, a lot of times those, you know, hospitals and schools will need you to be certified organic. If that, you know, if it's a grant funded program um, and a lot of times it doesn't make sense for a farmer to be certified, even though they are growing organically, um, it might not make sense for them to be paying for that certification. So right. yeah, I think there's huge opportunity um I think we'll see it, you know, we'll see it growing more. Um, I do think also that farmers are starting to work together in that way. And like Alicia said, this is not, this is nothing new. Um, Farmers have been doing this for a long, long time. Um, But as they're starting to see their income sort of uh, level out at farmers markets and CSAs, uh uh-huh. You know, CSAs have been dropping in popularity over the last couple of years. Most so definitely. I've, yeah. I've seen a lot of our diversified growers, you know, cut out their markets, cut out their CSAs, and go all into wholesale. Um, yeah. For better or for worse, I mean, there's there's pros and cons with that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I do I do see a trend towards towards that. Right. And I negotiating contracts. At- that's the other thing I
2: was thinking about. Like.
3: You know, mm-hmm. being able to
2: negotiate a fair price for yourself, if it's like you and your five mates, you know, at the local, at the local level, and you're selling into your local university or whatever, like, obviously, you're mm-hmm. not going to be the only one who's producing product A. So five of you have to agree to produce product A and then negotiate a fair price that all of you can agree on. That's something else that I am I'm imagine you guys give
3: support and training and far to your farmers with that. We're starting to, we haven't yet so far, but um, we are starting to do more trainings around wholesale and just what that looks like, like how to make uh-huh. that transition. Right. Right. We're going to, we're this, running this, yeah, out of like, time
2: here. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to jump way ahead. Actually. Uh, we may have to have another show ladies. I mean, this just was too. Mm. Um. You know what I want to talk about though, before we close, and that is the fact that consumers are relatively unaware that the farming population is aging out and they are not, uh, being replaced obviously at a commensurate rate. So can you both, uh, you know, individually describe what you think that means in terms of food security going forward, um, land use going forward, uh, how, what you're doing is, you know, how you, how, how it, we could recruit more young people to go back to farming. Let's hear it from both of you. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Caitlin, you start.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was just talking with someone at the Stone Bards conference about this, that we are in a historic moment. Um, the reality is that, you know, we're not getting the numbers of young farmers that we need to replace our retiring farmers and millions of acres are up in the air to be changing hands over the next 97 million is
2: my last check on that.
3: Yes. Um, which is just, there's no precedent for that. Um, so, you know, here at young farmers coalition, we, we weave that narrative into every single thing that we do. So Might get tiring, but we say it over and over again. You know, we the number of farmers that are over the age of 58 and the number of farmers that are under the age of 35 are not matching, and we need to change that. We need to shift Mm it. Um, and the how do we convince young people to enter this occupation when in reality, even if you do really, really well, that means you're making maybe 40k a year. Yeah. Don't tell anybody that. Don't tell that. (laughs) (laughs) Compared with other occupations that um, young people can go into straight out of college these days. I mean, it's just it's not enough money to build your life on and support your family on. Um, So we're seeing a lot of farmers in the five to ten years range uh, of farming You know, if they can't make it work for themselves and their families, then they're leaving farming as an occupation, which is adding to the attrition rate. So we need to make it possible for these young farmers to make a living that is real. I mean, that is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Um, And that means paying
2: farmers what the true cost of food is rather than all of these Mm -hmm various me- mechanisms that we have for, you know, basically cheating mm-hmm. them and tricking consumers.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Alicia, mm-hmm. What, what does Farm Aid do in terms of uh, recruiting or spreading that message that the outgoing number of farmers is not matching the incoming number of farmers and, you know, and that and the impact of that on food security?
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the biggest tasks we try to tackle as an organization is how to lift up um, the, the knowledge that we all have a stake in what happens on the farm. Um, and building and rebuilding those connections between mm-hmm. all of us who eat and those who grow food um, mm-hmm. is how we start to um, create opportunities for inspiration to get started in these careers. Um, so I think that broad public awareness and celebration of farmers and their ingenuity and their resilience Um, For example, I think a a dynamic um, when I look into the future is around climate change and rewarding farmers for um, the great potential of bringing carbon back down into the soil and really powerful soil sequestration um, and holistic farm management practices that really do, um, you know, speak to the full cost of growing our food Um, And that they would get rewarded for the full cost of that. I think it's really important. It's something we're seeing now, um, international and national policy and state policy starting to tackle. And I think um, those additional avenues of of rewarding farmers for what they do um, are part of that puzzle. Um, but I would just say, you know, for us, we, we do a, as much celebrating the culture of agriculture as we do advocating for structural change, as we do service delivery to farmers and ranchers. Um, and so for us, we're always threading that needle. And the, our role of bringing people together and celebrating um, farmers is uh, an important piece um, that, you know, we're going to keep doing until...
2: Till forever, I guess. (laughs) Till forever. Until until they get what they're supposed to get, which is a decent living. Mm -hmm. Ladies, it's time Mm -hmm. to promote yourselves shamelessly. Tell people where they can find out more about the National Young Farmers Coalition. Caitlin, that's you.
3: You can go to youngfarmers.org. And from now until December 29th, Patagonia is matching any donations that you make to our organization. So I urge you to check that out as well before the end of the year. Yeah, we didn't talk about
2: Chipotle, but they're also doing a big pug for young farmers matching donations. Does that have anything to do yeah. with you guys, or is that a whole separate thing?
3: No, it does. Uh, we are partnering with both Chipotle and Nyman Ranch um, yep. to build a grant fund up to $250,000. Uh, we'll be able to um, give grants directly to farmers through National Young Farmers Coalition starting in 2020. With, with Fantastic. Those, uh those funds. So yeah, Chipotle and Nyman Ranch are amazing partners of ours. And yeah. if you order online at Chipotle for farmer Fridays, um, $1 of your online order will go to that grant fund.
2: Sweet. And Alicia, what can people learn from you at FarmAid? It's FarmAid.org, right?
4: Yep. Yeah, FarmAid.org. Um, and we are about to announce, um, our national, competitive grant program um, sort of year end is when we uh, assess what we've made from the festival in any given year and then um, go through our grant award process to organizations Mm -hmm. across the country. Um, So we are really um, excited to be announcing that soon. So stay tuned. And the other thing I would just tune people into is the Family Farm Disaster Fund as well. Um, We're still supporting farmers um, who are dealing with, flooding and and all sorts of circumstances in the country. So that's an ongoing area where, um, you know, we try to rally the public support.
2: Absolutely. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a great conversation. I basically skipped three quarters of this outline. We have so much more to talk about. So we'll have to get together again in the new year. But for the now, I wish you the very happiest for 2020. Thanks so much to my listeners. Thank you to my sponsor. And thank you, Matt. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be back in a week with another fascinating program. Thank you so much. Until then, bye-bye for now. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.